0: Hello buddies, fellow Franco fans, I am your host, Jason Rudy of Desperate Visions Productions, Sacramento filmmaker with 12 films, plus many other projects, but I'll just go into that. So yeah, if you want to check me out, you can look me up for uh, Desperate Visions Productions or my photography at uh, Mondo Visions Photography. I'm a filmmaker, photographer, uh, artist, uh, producer, editor, script writer, do a lot of things. I used to wrestle. Um, so, this is episode six of the Franco Observer podcast. Of course, you know it's a podcast because we're listening. Um, on this one, uh, it's our first Zoom episode, and uh, my co host this week is Greta Carey from the beautiful state of Washington. So, uh, I'm in Sacramento, California, and uh, she's up by Seattle in uh, Washington. So um, it's kind of cool to have a California and Washington Zoom show, our first. I will be doing another Zoom coming up with uh, my buddy Dan Farron down in Los Angeles, California. And we'll be reviewing The Girl from Rio. But that will be a few episodes from now. So be on the lookout for that. Um, This week we review the film Bloody Moon by Jess Franco. Uh, Bloody Moon was made in 1980 and this is the 100th film that Jess Franco directed at the uh Flowers of Perversion and uh the other book by Stephen Thrower filmography in the back of all the things he directed by himself and for other people and other uncredited works and such but as a feature film director for himself this or for not for himself but as himself or his other names, A.M.F. or A.F.F. Frank and other uh, pseudonyms. Uh, This is the 100th film, according to his um, filmography. So, for this, the sixth episode, we do Bloody Moon once again. And uh, this was made in 1980, like I said before. And the uh, theatrical title is the... uh, Actually, it's a West German production... The original theatrical title in the country of origin is Dysodge des Tost and that's the Saw of Death. And even though it's called Bloody Moon, on all the advertising art, you always see the giant buzzsaw with the woman's face and then the blood. So they really. And that buzzsaw scene is one of the high points of the film, one of the murder uh, set pieces. And uh, this is interesting because there's a lot of those in there, but it's good. So, uh, yeah, alternative titles. Uh, Spanish theatrical is "Colegias Violades, which is Violated Schoolgirls. Uh, the French theatrical is Blood Moon, Lune de Song. French video, La Lune de Song. Um, the Italian theatrical is Profonde Tenebre, which is Deep Darkness. And they try to market this as a Der Argento type Giallo film because there is a lot of the touches in here, the black lift killer, uh some of the shots, the woman hanging from the ceiling, and a lot of Giallo um framework and, and formula for this. Um among other things. Um Argia Sangriante is the Argina or Mexican theatrical title. Uh the Denmark one is uh Sex Mord Papixcolin. Sex Murder at the Girls' School. And the Argentino video cover, Terra Morete en les Universidad. And Argentina video is Criminales Vicious. And uh, there's also a Greek. An unconfirmed title was The Blood Moon Murders, a Belgian video. Uh, production companies for this is Lisa Metro Film and Rapid Films out of Munich. And um, shooting was done on this in October of 1980. And it came out in Germany in March 27th of 1981, Uh, followed by Germany. It did Cannes in May 20th of 81, then played Madrid in December 14th of 81, then Seville in March 18th of 82, and it was uh, certified X in UK, as that's part of the video nasties. So that was in January 26th of 82, got the X rating there for violence. Uh, then it played Cartagena on May 82 and Alist, Belgium in August 27th of 82 Then it played London finally in November of 82 and Barcelona in June of 84 Never played theatrically in the United States but did show up on video uh, VHS um, Video DVD running times converted where necessary is uh, 85 minutes The Germany Theatrical v- run was 84.23 and that's converted so that's about right there's no cuts but the UK one cut um, from 85.03 down to 83.27 so yeah it's uh, about a minute and a half there are cuts so um, that would of course be the violence Um, the director of this course is Jess Franco as Jesus Franco executive producer Eric Tomek Producer, Wolf Hardvig. Screenplay, Eric Tomac as Rayo Casablanca, which is really dumb. I think this is, Franco said the only script the guy ever did, but I didn't check. Um, camera assistant, I'm sorry, the director of photography is Juan Soler Cozar. Camera assistant, Fatima Ochanado. Um, let's see who else we got on here. Uh, special effects, Juan Raymond Molina. Art director, Klaus Haas. Assistant director, Lina Romay. Okay, there answers my question. I was wondering why she wasn't in this. So that's cool. Lina Romay is the assistant director on this. as Rosa Amaral. Uh, The editor is Carl Aslitsky. See, that's cool. I'm glad I I went deep with the uh, credits on this. So that's cool. Lina Romay was the assistant director. Um, The song, Love in the Shadow, by Frank Duvall. And that was the uh, one that's played all the way through, I believe, on the record player, on the train, and during different scenes. Um, let's see. Love in the Shadow, uncredited. Love in the Shadow, orchestrated and conducted by Michael Dupont. And first camera operator is Jess Franco. So, in this one, Jess Franco was the camera operator and the director, which is great. So he, he was camera operator and director, like I always do. And then Lena Romay was the assistant director, so she worked with him, because uh, the sist- cause the character of um, Manuela Gonzalez reminded me of Lena Romay, me and uh, Greta spoke about that, and uh, I was wondering why Lena Romay wasn't in there, because the woman resembled her, and that would have been her part, I believe, so it's cool that she was assistant director instead of being the actor for that. Uh, the cast in this is um, Olivia Pascal as Angela's the lead. She's really good in this. She was in a lot of German uh, films over there. And this is uh, one of her first like, well, actually this is a German film. So, yeah. So, but she's really good in this. Um, Alexander Vacher played Miguel Gonzalez. Uh, he's the fellow with the uh, scarring on his face. Um, Nadja Gerganov played Manuela Gonzalez. That's Miguel's sister. She's the evil conniving sister in this. Um, Christoph Moosberger plays Alvarado. He's the head of the language school. He's a really good heel in this. Um, he kind of resembles a thinner James Caan kind of with the really curly hair. and uh, he's, a, he's a good actor in this. I'd say him and uh, his character and Olivia Pascal's Angela are probably the two best actor-actors in this film. Or their performances, I should say. Um, Jasmine Lozinski plays Inga. Otto W. Retger plays Paco, the handyman, who's the only other male on campus besides uh, Alvaro. So Alvaro and Paco. Oh, I'm sorry, Well, actually, there's the the brother and the uh, one of the other hand, one of the other handyman assistant, the ball headed guy. Um, and Beat Angel and and Beat Angeliki plays Eva. Uh, Corina Drews as Corinna Griwald uh, plays Laura. God, all these credits and all these names. Uh, Peter Ex Custas plays Antonio, the Countess's Gardener. He's must be the ball headed fellow. Uh, Maria Rubio plays Countess Maria Gonzalez, Miguel's aunt, she's the older lady in the wheelchair. Um, Antonio Garcia plays Alvira, Alvaro's, Alvaro's secretary. She's only in it for a couple scenes. She's very intense. Uh, Beatrix Sancho Nuete plays Rita, and Jess Franco plays Dr. Domingo, Aundos, who's almost like, uh, um, Dr. Pleasant's, uh, Dr. Loomis character in Halloween, letting the brother out of the insane asylum after the killing, um, And that was his doctor. So, um, let's see. Okay, so what do we want to go over? Um, We did the dates of filming. We did the release dates. We did the different titles. DVD Blu-ray releases. Um, This one I watched on the Severn Blu-ray release for the American market. I know this film was released quite a bit over the years on different VHS brands and uh, different DVDs and Blu-rays. I'm sure there's probably half dozen worldwide releases of this for German markets, Italian markets. I don't know, there might even be a Japanese release of this, I'm not sure. Uh, Anybody listening to this that uh, would like to share it, if you're on Facebook, you can look up the Franco Observer and we have a page now for the Franco Observer podcast and you can share any pictures or any reviews or any questions or add things or uh, have Franco conversation there. And you can also reach me at francoobserver at com. You can send any emails there or questions, comments, um, any um, things you'd like to see on the show, any films you want reviewed, any questions you have, please send them there, francoobserver at yahoo or the francoobserver uh, Facebook page. So um, what else we want to talk about here? Uh, this is going to be kind of a longer uh, review compared to the other ones. It's going to be maybe about an hour episode, so I'm going to kind of not cut, run this a little too long in the beginning. Um, film notes for this. Yeah, uh, we both really enjoyed it. Um, this has a really good pace, even though Franco says he didn't write this, any of this, and in the interviews afterwards, he says that they didn't take any of his suggestions. There is... A few of his frameworks or f- trademarks with this, um, like I was saying in the, in the uh, review portion, the sister trying to swindle her brother out of the um, inheritance remind me of sexy sisters that we did um, back uh, on episode four, where she tries to get her sister to go insane and do something or kill somebody so she can get the fortune and uh that is used again in this episode um there is a dance scene of course and dance scene in all of franco's films this one is with the disco club and uh there's black walls in this again there's uh seems to be a lot of the rooms for entertaining and th- things that happen like that I usually have black walls i seem to find in this era in his films so that's the uh, running through a line, through all the reviews. Um, with this, the Franco Observer, we're always trying to have praise and a memory of Jess Franco bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. I recently purchased another eleven uh, Jess Franco films, and I have those. I have pictures of those posted on the page. A lot of the more rare ones, and uh, about two days ago, I uh, I ordered another seven. I ordered Justine and the Whip, Girl in the See-Through Panties, Death Stalker of Soho, The Rafifi in the City, Death Whistles the Blues, Necronomicon, which is the original cut of Succubus before AIP re-edited it, changed a bunch of music, did other things to it, and Vengeance of Dr. Mabuse Um, I inquired about three other titles that I've been looking for The Other Side of the Mirror, which has been a personal quest of mine to find uh, Tender and Perverse Emmanuel and Kiss Me Killer and my seller told me he had all three, so those three I'm going to be ordering next week, and I have about another five or six that isn't listed that I'm asking about and then I will add those to the list, and that will be about uh, 5 there. The other 3 will be about 8, and then there's still about another 10 or so from him that I still need to get. So that'll take me up to about uh, 130, 140, somewhere around there in the Franco account when all is said and done. So getting pretty close to finishing up the majority of it. The later years, I'm still picking up some of those piece by piece, um, going to get, blind target being sent this week through eBay and a few other things. So I'm going to wrap up this portion. Uh, well, yeah, one, one thing I'm going to be saying is that, um, we're going to be trying to add in, uh, trailers of the Franco film that you're, or I'm sorry that we are reviewing. So, this week, after this portion, you're going to hear the bumper music and then um, the trailer for Bloody Moon and then off to the review portion of the film. So, I mean, uh, the podcast. The review portion of the film for the podcast. Um, once again, thank you all for listening. Our numbers are going up. We now have over 200 downloads of the Franco Observer Podcast and we have listeners in the United States, the United Kingdom, Germany, Portugal, Spain, Canada, Italy, France, Finland, Austria, the Philippines, the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, and Australia. Thank you all very much for that. Right now, the top downloaded City is Stoneham followed by Madrid and then Mansfield those are our three tops and number four is Kaysville I believe that's in Utah so uh, I believe that's a listener named Jared that's as far as Kaysville shout out to Kaysville and shout out to Stoneham if you're listening in Stoneham please add us Franco Observer page let us know you're listening or send us a friend request. I'm always happy to meet new Franco fans. I am a newer devotee, and there's people I know that have been into his films for 30, 40, 50 years, so that's always awesome. So yeah, uh, this is, once again, Episode 6, the Franco Observer Podcast. We review Bloody Moon, 1980, just Franco. Here we go.
1: Kiss as cold and icy as death. Your embrace, deep as the night. Ah! Ava's been murdered. That's nonsense. He wants to kill me, too. Bloody moon.
0: Summer nights filled with horror. A killer whose ah! lust for blood will stop at nothing. Ah! Ah! Nights of blood. Nights of terror that will leave you breathless.
1: <coughs> Young girls in search of love and adventure become the prey of a bloodthirsty killer. Now you'll be to
0: sleep with him i can't wait till tonight i wish you were here now
1: fear will grip you on this holiday of terror a dream vacation becomes
0: a nightmare
1: bloody moon a film you won't soon forget bloody moon
0: Hello, I am your host, Jason Rudy, and thank you once again for joining us for The Franco Observer. Um, this is uh, episode six of The Franco Observer. I'm starting to lose count now, which is kind of sad. It's only like the sixth episode, but... So yeah, this is different. I had a change in plans because we um, usually record on a Thursday, but uh, Eric wasn't available. Well, oh, actually, scratch that. We usually tape on a Thursday, but... Uh, I tried to switch it to Wednesday and there was the NBA draft and Eric couldn't join me for that. So then I had a solo show that I had done before that as a backup and it just perfectly fit into place because I'm recording here on a Friday evening and uh, here in Sacramento, California, and I'm uh, speaking with my friend Greta Carey uh, all the way in uh, Washington. Uh, say hello, Greta.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Um, I've known Greta since probably 2005. Five, two 2006 somewhere around there probably so yeah maybe going on about 15 years crazy damn 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 so yeah it's cool when i first met Greta. we always talked film and uh we had a um similarity in film interests uh we both like a lot of the same directors same genre we're both big wrestling fans uh we both love the uh blood sweat and tears of film and wrestling among other cool things so um this was my first time watching Bloody Moon. Um, I had seen the trailer of it and stuff, but like with my past, I was always... Before I got into Just Franco, Like people always kind of uh, dissed him a little bit to me. And so, oh, he's kind of low budget or blah, blah, blah. So I always kind of dismissed Bloody Moon, even though I had seen like every slasher film in the 80s pretty much. And then when I watched the trailer for this a couple of days ago, I actually got really excited because the sequence of the woman tied to like the stone thing they're pushing in the buzzsaw and it's getting closer i was like holy shit that looks like really fucking cool you know excuse the language um so yeah it was just really it just i was i was blown away by that um but i had doing for this first for this first zoom episode um with my friends that are further away i had to try to find films that are on either amazon prime YouTube or Tubi or other streaming services and then go from the list from there. And upon presenting Greta this list, she wholeheartedly jumped at Bloody Moon because she enjoys Bloody Moon. Um, How many times have you seen this before, Greta? Uh, This was,
1: I think, my fifth time watching the film.
0: Wow. Um, How long has it been since you last seen it?
1: I had not seen it. I don't think I had seen it actually since the late 90s. So this was a this was a like really good return to uh, to viewing it with like fresh eyes, and a whole new appreciation of of film that I didn't have um, when I watched it when I was younger.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I always usually ask my co-host what do they think of the film. So Greta, what did you think of Bloody Moon?
1: I love this film. It is probably actually one of my favorite Franco films. Um, I think it is uh, it is a sweet Franco film versus a sadistic Franco film, <laughs> but you still get plenty of boobs, which you know you can't go wrong there. Um, and uh, and really, um, you know, I love a giallo, and I love a slasher, and I love the peanut butter cup of the giallo slasher that Franco gives us here.
0: Yeah, no, most most heartily uh, agree with that. Um... I was really surprised with this cuz I wasn't sure what to expect and upon watching it I was really impressed and really I really dug it. Um I liked all the red herrings and of course like you were talking about having appreciation for film you could see the Hitchcock, the uh, Halloween, uh Dario Argento, um Psycho at the end, the the mother in the chair, you know, and just all these touches. I was like, oh there's this, there's this, there's this. And uh, so yeah, um I guess I mean, Franco's done a lot of horror stuff, but I guess this is his only slasher film from what I've read. Um, yeah, I mean, until I see other, I guess this is the only slasher film he's done. Um, I actually kind of wish he uh, would have done more because you see his style like all the way through it, you know.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think he could have done incredibly well because I like this as much as I like a lot of other Italian horror directors, like it had a lot of kind of Bava qualities, it had uh, Argento and Fulci qualities to it. So all like all top directors for me, and um, you know he definitely he dabbled like so many of those guys in a lot of different genres. But I think he could I think he could have gone uh, a lot of different uh, a lot of different ways and done more with this. Though I have heard that this was not. Um, his favorite film that he had a lot of, there were a lot of promises about this film and he just kind of was like, I gave them what they wanted. They wanted like, you know, 80 minutes of horror and, and, and to get on that whole uh, Friday the 13th train.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Speaking of Friday the 13th, that's one thing that popped into me because the girls in bungalow 13. I was like, Oh, come on, man. Like of all the numbers, why do you got to pick 13 for the, like hammered over our head? Why don't you, you know? But um yeah, no, I know I I definitely agree. Um even him as the Doctor Pleasant's character, like in the beginning, I was laughing at that, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is one of the great moments where you where there you know it's the psychiatrist and uh, it's like, oh man, director cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that's a fun thing about watching all these Franco films is to see if he's in a film. And sometimes you just see his hands or sometimes he's cut out of it or this or that, but other times he's Way into it, he's one of the leads, or he's in a couple scenes, or you know this or that. Um, so before I go into the film, the review of it, everything, I wanted to go back to what you are talking about—the promises deal. Um, I watched the Bloody Moon uh, Severn Blu-ray, and uh, I watched the little uh, twenty-minute deal on there where they're talking about him. And with the promises, I guess he said that they had mentioned uh, Pink Floyd was going to do the music for the film, which uh, it's funny because Pink Floyd was mentioned before that they were going to do the music for Caddyshack. And that was uh, about a year before this or maybe a year and a half. And then that didn't fall through either. And I'm like, interesting that Pink Floyd got mentioned for Bloody Moon and Caddyshack as soundtracks, which...
1: I, I mean, I already stand Caddyshack pretty hard. If Pink Floyd had done the soundtrack, what kind of like psychedelic just moment in time would that have been
0: yeah especially this era like 79 80 it's like that's like just as they were breaking up so you don't know if it was gonna be like the wall stuff or just like david gilmore wailing because like that guitar track uh, in this film all the way through it was like okay that's the pink floyd song that they were trying to ape when they were like okay we got since we didn't get pink floyd we're gonna have this pink floyd song that plays on the train, on the record, on, and like all the way through these different things. And so yeah, that's the first thing after I learned the Pink Floyd thing and then read it in this book and then watched that and that just kept sticking in my head, you know. But uh, yeah, so yeah, they promised him that and then the uh script writing was the last guy was uh, a Casablanca and Jess Franco kinda joked about that, you know. He's like, Casablanca's not a horror thing. That has nothing to do with horror. That's a city or a love story or a film. Not not a horror <laughs> But yeah, that was, that was, uh, I definitely enjoyed that. So, and it was cool to see I watched a little documentary and, uh, um, Lina Rome is like in the first two minutes, she's like getting her stuff. And then she's leaving I'm like, yeah, hey, there, there's Lina Romay, you know? But yeah, so I thought it was pretty cool. Um, all right. So I guess we'll go into it. Um, looking up is kind of cool that you chose this film because this is the uh, 100th film that Jess Franco directed, uh, looking up on his resume. Um, The print – oh, yeah, so uh, how did you watch it? Did you watch it from a DVD, Blu-ray, streaming?
1: Uh, I streamed it on Amazon Prime.
0: Okay, good. So um, was the title sequence in German where it says Bloody Moon? Okay, so that's probably the Severn version then. Um, Because, like, I noticed – I mean, saying this won't jump ahead or anything, but I noticed on this Blu-ray they really focused on the gore. Like, there was slow-motion, grainy shots from, like, the German print where yeah. they indulged on the close-ups a little too long, you know? And so that's probably the print that's on Amazon Prime. I was kind of curious about that. So, okay, good. Well, because Amazon Prime's known for cutting shit, so didn't sound like to cut that. Um, so, yeah, uh, like I mentioned before, Pink Floyd was uh, supposed to do the music for this, and they uh, didn't do that. So, um, um it starts off with a night nice shot of a full moon, straight off. A uh, bloody moon. So they start off with a shot of a full moon. Um, you see a woman pushing a wheelchair while a scarred man and woman, uh, you find out it's his sister, are outside a disco party. So when I first watched this, I wasn't sure if like these people were kind of like crashing a party or what was going on. And then as you realize that that's the grounds where the lady has the bungalows, but the guy comes in and buys part of the... Property to start his language school. So I wonder what was there before, like a couple years before all that happened when the stabbing was. So I don't know. That was kind of interesting to me. But uh, so yeah, there's um, uh, there's uh, lovers making out in a small clearing of trees. Which I every Franco film, I always try to see if I can find like some some fake wall or like some light that's supposed to be in the shot. Or I'll always try to find something. Not wrong to find something wrong, but my eye just goes to something that, hey, that looks like it's, you know, staged a little too much. Like, so in that shot, it looked like they were in, like, a dark studio, and they had the, just put these little fake trees in, and the and the way it was lit, it just didn't look real to me. So I think that might have been a a totally shot in a studio, because that same room where they had the, the disco club had the black walls, so I was thinking they could have moved some of those fake trees in there, because they were really thin, you know, little trees, so... That's that's what I saw right off the bat. Um, so, yeah, um, so then the uh, Scarred Band steals the uh, t shirt and a Mickey Mouse mask. Um, and they do the POV mask shot like at Halloween. And so, Halloween came out about two years, three years before that, right around. So, obviously, that's one of the first homages you see. Um, so, uh, oh, yeah, so then he uh, puts on the mask and the t-shirt of the guy and woman that are making out and he goes into the dance area where everybody's dancing and some girl thinks it's another guy because he puts the mask on and that scene reminded me later on of um, Revenge of the Nerds where the guy puts on the Darth Vader mask and he goes to the girl and they have sex and all that stuff and then she, you know, but
1: it comes to a different end. Yeah. Terror Train. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: there you go and, and Terror Train too. So that's that, totally space that. so that's, that's the other horror reference. Um yeah that was probably yeah right around this time I think mm-hmm. just before maybe 1980 Canada mm-hmm. um so uh so yeah so she uh leaves with him and uh she has sex with him and takes off the mask and finds that it's the scarred guy Miguel and he freaks out and just like starts stabbing her and then it cuts to the german title screen um for the film Bloody Moon um and uh, so then it jumps ahead to, uh, after the credits, to a couple years later, where you find Miguel being uh, let out of the hospital uh, in care of his sister, Manuela, and um, Jess Franco plays the doctor in the scene, which we had spoke about earlier. Um, it's funny as a director that he chooses to put himself in the films, because he's a pretty good actor, I mean, but you always know it's him. Um, And it's always kind of cool too to watch this because he always changes his style. Like this, he's kind of like clean shaven. He's got kind of long hair. He's wearing the doctor's small or the doctor's white lab jacket, and he's got the turtleneck on. You know, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it like we were saying. I thought it was a very cool cameo.
1: Yeah, and he's doing the whole like whatever you do, you can't rile him up. Oh yeah, crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's totally like. Telling her, okay, don't mention what happened a couple of years ago. Just remember how it is, and you're in his care. And, and he's uh, he basically lays out the whole trip. And it's funny, while watching this, even though Jess Franco wasn't the writer of the script, uh, it reminded me kind of Sexy Sisters and uh, the part where the one person is going to inherit all the fortune and t- unless they go mad or go crazy, which is an old theme. I mean, that's not a Franco invention or anything, but this uses kind of that same story of that where if the guy doesn't get it then his sister will so the sister tries to connive the brother to either kill somebody get arrested or go crazy or whatever so yeah i was watching that and i was thinking about that that i I could tell it's kind of going in that direction um so then it cuts to a train and then that's when you first hear the fake pink floyd uh guitar uh music um and uh but also too so it cuts from there to the um I don't know the sound, but it's like the Brady Bunch Hawaiian, Da-da-da-da-da! that kind of, yeah. that kind of whistle thing. I was like, what? They do that a couple of times. It's like a danger cue, you know? Um, so yeah, I thought that was kind of, kind of funny. The, the uh, cut to that. Um, so then, uh, so then the woman, the main uh, lead in the film, um, Angela, she sees Miguel and uh, Manuela um, on the train and, uh, she gets freaked out because they're, like, staring at her and watching her and stuff, and then you start seeing from the, it's almost from her first shot, she's very high strung. Um, I thought her and uh, Manuel and uh, Avaro. The uh, instructor. He, I think, I thought those three were really good leads. And it's funny, the sister Manuela. It's like every film that Lena Romay's not in, I almost think like, oh, that could have been um, Lena Romay's part. And the sister almost looks like Lena Romay of her hairstyle and the part that she played and her delivery. And I think Franco does that. There's a couple of films I've seen recently where he'll put a woman that looks like Lena in, in that part or so. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's done subconsciously, or if it's done on purpose, or, or what. But it's.
1: I don't know anything else that that actress has been in, and, and not that I am a big aficionado on like German film. Right, right. But, um, but I, you know, many of the actors in there were German because it was a co production. Um, and I didn't really find any information about her other than having been in that film, whereas the lead and, uh, the person that played Miguel, they've all, like, they all had other, uh, you know other things that they did in their career so i was like did he just go out and find some woman that sort you know sort of had that later on the equality
0: oh yeah the one for the offering. sister
1: yeah and that's that's too odd. odd
0: yeah no okay yeah that's yeah I, I was i was wondering about that because uh because they don't talk about her in the documentary they talk about the the lead angela and everybody else but yeah but not about her yeah and it was such i mean you know it's 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 so funny how much that she resembles her and just nope. everything all the way through. So, so yeah, and it's funny too. Like whenever I watch these, I always wonder, like, why wasn't she in this film? Was she doing another film, or did she just didn't hire, her or was she doing producing on the behind side, or or whatever? I don't know. I mean, Franco gets on screen, but you know. Um. So yeah. So then uh, we see, um, we see the uh, second full moon shot where the. Um, it cuts to the villa, and uh, Miguel's pushing his aunt at night, um, so they keep presenting the full moon and the scarred faced uh, M- um, Miguel as almost a, a red herring to try to uh, draw you into that direction and I will say Miguel had like the fucking coolest jacket like in the fucking thing.
1: What is that painting on the back of it?
0: I was going to ask you the same thing.
1: Oh my God. I kept I kept zooming in on it last. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What is going on? This this dressing is so rad that they have going on the whole. Like the I, I will say the costuming and the aesthetic is spot on. I mean, yeah. at, we one of the um the scenes where we first see uh, Angela she's wearing like a Grace Jones sweatshirt. It's yeah, so that, that totally
0: caught my eye. I was like a gray sweatshirt with Grace Jones like right in the middle. It was really fucking cool. But yeah, that painting on the back is almost like um it's like a Geiger kind of Debbie Harry, almost like that picture kind of, but it was like changed into like a like a pinball thing or a sci fi I don't know. It was just a cool like had a lot of influences on that. And then the inside of
1: the jacket was like a tiger kind of print inside. I was yeah, like, that, it's like if Geiger was if they were like draw metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it like was a, like
0: Geiger's was, heavy metal or some shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was just, I was just, yeah, I focused on that. I was like, wow. And that's what I like about this film is, like, there was so much style that would just, like, suddenly come out and then go away. And it's just like, and mm-hmm. if you watched for it, you, you would see it. But if you were just doing something else, it would totally take, it would, you would totally miss it, you know, and that's, yeah. that's what I think from watching this. Um, so, uh, uh, you see Miguel Pustin? Okay, so then, um, an unseen killer, uh, comes in and you see the ant, the old aunt in bed and uh, they like flash this light on her and then it scares her and then you see this like flame come in and it kind of like puts the flame in front of her face and it shows that it's burning her face but you don't really see like a gore effect or anything. It was more like shot through the flame which is a cool effect. It was almost like the burning or um, don't go in the house. Or was that the one with the flame? Yeah that one where they kind of superimposed the flame on top of the woman so it looked like she was being burned, but she wasn't, you know, kind of a layered shot, which I thought was cool. But that actually looked like it was just shot through the flame with the camera, so I don't know. But, um, yeah, so you got to see that. And then, um, okay, so then when I was taking notes, I I suddenly was like, uh, even though he's not dead, I was channeling uh, Joe Bob Briggs Mm -hmm. because I was like, all right, then we have language lessons foo, then we cut into the tennis playing foo, Mm-hmm. And then we have the two topless girls by the pool pushes a guy in the pool foo.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: So all of a sudden you just have like all these random shots of the language lesson and then the tennis playing. And then you see the naked girls by the pool. And that was a good jump. It's like, all right, here comes the nudity. Just like puts it right in there for no reason. Yeah. They're just like, Hey, right how
1: you in- doing? You go right into like Euro sex comedy.
0: Yeah. 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 And, they're and, they're like, just-
1: and you're, and you're also, you're at the international youth club boarding school of languages. Thank is what you. the sign says when they when they like pan onto it. And it's like, wow, somebody made first of all, somebody made that sign with boat letters, which was amazing. <laughs> and they're basically at Berlitz school. They're just listening to tapes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like you're talking about Argento too. That's almost like the ballet academy almost. Like I, I didn't think about it until just now we were talking like that's kind of that that setting or or the bop of the um um what's the one with the mass killer, like one of its first, uh, the, uh, B- the uh, Fashion Institute, uh, Blood and Black Lace. Blood and Black Lace? Yeah, yeah, Blood and Black Lace. It kind of reminds me of that with that with all the women and like everybody's screwing everybody. it also too, I read uh, Bay of Blood, which makes sense. They're all like fighting over the land and it's a body count, and, you know. But yeah, they definitely do the body count with this. Um, so I made like almost three pages of notes going through all this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so... Um, so, Bungalow 13 was where um, the woman was killed years ago by Miguel. And uh, Angela goes to, of course, Bungalow 13. So, they put her right in the same place where the murder occurred years ago. Um, so, I think somebody that's so high, strong, and already on edge, let's put her in the place where the murder occurred, because that will set her off, you know. That's um,
1: right. And then we're going to gaslight her.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. It's like gaslighting, I think, I mean that of course is an old thing and stuff, but it's like, it seems like it didn't really come into like mainstream or public conscious until like, what, maybe like 10 years ago, maybe mm-hmm. or less or more, or, but like, it was almost like a thing. And you, and you watch all these now with that in mind, and it totally changes your view of, of that whole situation. And that was like a totally common, like plot device to like, think you see something and then the body disappears. Oh no, you're crazy. You're going insane. I mean, that happens so much. In
1: films. Yeah. Like, jello loves a high strong woman who needs to be medicated um and then everyone's like no 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 you just read too many books you just need to take your medication you're you're seeing things
0: yeah there's that great book house of psychotic women and like this would have fit in that thing as i was watching i was Mm -hmm. thinking that like oh there's there's all these keystones that they're going through and it definitely was very very cool um so yeah so then um let's see uh, Angela goes bungalow 13. She puts on the record, which was the same song as the train. Uh, she tries to take a shower and Miguel and the other ball-headed guy that, speaking of hanging up the sign, the ball-headed guy was outside her window. So they have these two men, and you don't really, I mean, you know Miguel, he's scarred and he was the uh, the um, nephew of, of the lander, but you don't know who the other guy is, the ball-headed guy that just likes to make funny faces and look around at people. And I don't know. Pretend like he's driving a car, he's like looking through the window, you know. I don't know.
1: Yeah, he's like a classic, um, like uh dopey foil uh in in one of those Euro horror films who's just it's like he's there to like a throwaway red herring, like he never actually does anything. Right. He's you just at the scene.
0: Yeah, he's there like right before or right after something happens, but he doesn't participate in it or know it's going yeah. on, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah Even though he, he has those.
1: Like, like a little leering, sinful dwarf eyes on everything.
0: Yeah, like he grabs those pincers later on and he's just like, Arr! and he's like playing with them. <laughs> so that was, that was funny. Um, so, yeah, so then uh, we see she try, uh, Miguel and the other guy show up, scare, her, and then the uh, the little kid at the door. So, like, Franco throws all these plot devices. Like, why would a kid be at the door with, like, a little knick-knack elephant at night? And all these people show up in the middle of the night. That's one thing I I noticed about this. Like, the little kid at night, and then the one lady comes over to borrow a pull-up sweater, like, in the middle of the night. And then another lady comes over to visit her in the middle of the night when she has all the stuff in front of the door. I'm like, why are all these people showing up at, like, 2 in the morning or 1 in the morning just like, hey, I was wondering if you were sleeping or not? Yeah. Yeah, that was... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess it's being in your 20s, I guess. I don't, I don't know, but... So, yeah, there was... Uh, so, after that, we see the third full moon shot, uh, the empty wheelchair outside with... Uh okay, now, here's the thing, too. Who was that topless woman up in the window? Oh, that, I think, is Manuela, the sister. See, but, but she had blonde hair in a couple of shots. Maybe, I don't know, because there's... At first, I thought, okay, it was Manuela, because hmm. they show her topless... And then the next shot, she's in that see-through negligee with her brother. So I was like, okay. And then they show that woman again. She's just like standing there, looking up at the sky, and she has like kind of like a blonde Dutch kind of haircut. And I thought it was Manuel at first too, but then I watched it again. I don't know. I gotta walk go through again and see, but it looked like it was another woman. Like that was a red herring. But you don't see her any other part of the film. Nope. So I don't know if she's like a maid or she was somebody that lived there. Or, I don't know. That was that was bizarre. So yeah, I'll just have to watch that again because at that. I don't know. That was just weird.
1: There's also the disappearing school secretary that like tells him at the, at the beginning about like, we owe all these bills and we're in financial trouble. And then you see her again at the disco and she's like, come over to my bungalow after you get done in the disco. And he's like, yeah, sure, baby, I'm coming right over. And he never does. And then you never see her again. And that's she- right.
0: Yeah. And she has these really like, st- you know, I wonder if she was the one up in the window. Cause she has mm-hmm. blonde hair. She has like these really strong eyes. She was just like looking mm-hmm. at him when he walked away. But, yeah, she was like, uh, so then, yeah, so then, like I said before, you see uh, Miguel and Manuela, they have the sister-brother kiss, and you realize they have an incestuous relationship for the most part, even though we don't know how far things went. But he likes her because she's the only one that never laughed at him or never was scared of him, so he had affection to her, which she uses to her advantage, you know, because he's the one with the prophet. Okay, so now here's probably my favorite part of the film uh, that stuck in my head um, was when they go to the disco club. The disco club was cool because then it cuts to the disco playing a fake 50s song. Oh, actually, but before that, they go to the disco club and it's playing like a disco song. You see everybody dancing and it's, it's, it's cool. So the second time they go to the disco club, it plays a fake 50s song and it stuck in my head and I started to write the lyrics because it, it, it goes... Shake, 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 shake your baby. Shake, 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 shake your baby. Shake, 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 shake your baby. Then it Because to rock your baby, rock, rock your baby. Rock your baby. baby, rock, rock your baby. So yeah, so it's just it's funny because like he goes f- the fifties, kind of like the fifties nostalgia, you know, which was right around that time before and after the uh, American Graffiti, of course, yeah. and then after that with the Stray Cats and all that stuff. So that kind of fits right in in between there, um, with the saxophone and stuff. But it was just odd. Like I, I was wondering who wrote that song. Uh, if Franco had anything to do with that song? Probably not, because this seemed like he, he didn't have his fingers on a lot of the creative stuff. Yeah. For this, you know.
1: Yeah, that song is is like really jarring. Yeah. And so out of place with the rest of the film. And then there's somebody on roller skates. Yeah. Like a roller disc element to it.
0: Totally. You see hers first and she's like, kind of like going around in circles. And then like, everybody's like so overtaken by how cool the song is. They all get up one at a time and just start like joining in this big dance yeah. number.
1: Also, yeah. there's one male on the entire campus, except for the teacher and, and Miguel and, the, um and the handyman. But there's like one desirable male among dozens of women.
0: Yeah, that's uh Paco the handy or is it yeah. Paco yeah, Paco the handyman. Yeah because yeah, Miguel, Manuela Alvaro. Yeah, yeah, Paco. So yeah, he's the one and then you uh he's another red herring because you see him arguing with the sister later on. But um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so yeah, he's the one and when he's at the club like all he has like three girls just on him when he's trying to get with Angela and just like everybody wants to go to bed with him and, and uh and it's cool because with there's so many red herrings in this because there's the blonde girl that gets jealous that had the, was faking like she was having sex with the guy in the room, and you think because you see the body in the closet, and you think she did it, and like there's so many cool like things, but anyway, I'm jumping ahead. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so then you see oh, here's my nose. Antonio with the three women. There we go. And uh, but the what thing I thought was cool, there's this cool phone in the in the disco. She gets up and she goes to the phone. It's like mm-hmm. this light around the phone. And it's just there, and it's a square. I thought that was like it's like oh I don't know. It was like a yeah fucking cool thing
1: no the the disco's got a great aesthetic and it's like okay first of all we're at this weird language school with bungalows and a giant pool like the whole centerpiece of the school is a pool yeah and then there's a disco where you can get a simple meal at night right that's right (laughs) and um but then you're just going out and boozing it up all night and, like, listening to this weird 50s, 70s music. And the couch, there's a super cool couch in there that I would love to own. It's this white leather, like, marshmallow couch yeah. that they're all cuddled up on. And yeah, it's yeah, pretty, yeah. Pretty, pretty stylish.
0: And it's cool, too, because, like, I always make a remark that in every Jess Franco film, he has at least one dance scene. And it's usually in a place where everybody's sitting around watching two women or two women and a man or or some kind of an act that's going on that's a performance that's a show of some kind and this was the same thing it was like everybody was getting up and dancing like there wasn't no centerpiece but everybody was dancing having a good time and and he made sure it's, it's funny there's always like one dance scene in almost every Jess Franco film which is kind of cool because like as a filmmaker myself I was thinking about dance scenes like about couple months ago thinking you know that that's a cool thing because people like to watch people dance and have a good time and you think about from film all the way through like dance scenes have always been an important part of a lot of films and they're not in every film like i don't think there's a dance scene in frankenstein or you know this or that but
1: oh my god i wish there was i
0: know but there's like you know there is in the family opera so i mean there's just like so much different stuff so it's just like but dance scenes of every you know you can either just put one in or build the whole film around it like Saturday Night Fever. Or, I mean, there's just so much dance stuff that that's such a simple human thing that people always enjoy watching, you know?
1: Yeah, and it gives you that sense of security. Everything's okay. We're just at the disco and we're dancing and we're having fun with our friends and we have no bras on and we're wearing cashmere sweaters. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, I didn't think about that too. It is that 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 like togetherness that people always want to be a part of something. So when you're dance. You're, all, you're, you're doing your part along with everybody else to get something going. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's like a common thing with him. Um, so, uh, oh, yeah, so then you see the topless woman in the main building window looking up the full moon where it cuts to that which, uh, thing. So then, so then it cuts to Angela in bed reading before she sleeps, and she's reading a book, uh, Poe Must Die, and I guess it's a detective novel, but I don't know if he puts it in there because of Edgar Allan Poe or if that was a popular novel at the time or what. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I don't
1: know either. I don't know either, but there is um, – I, I love, like, it's such a good scene because it's the voiceover of literally everything that's happening yeah. as she reads it aloud in her head.
0: Oh, shit. I got to go back and watch that now. I totally didn't catch that.
1: Oh, yeah, because it's like it, she's laying in bed getting ready to go to sleep doesn't know the killer's outside her window stalking her she like she (laughs) likes all about her like childlike innocence while this menacing force is outside of her window it's it's really it's there's a lot of um weird dubbing and and some really corny um uh voiceover and uh and dialogue but that that part's pretty sharp
0: yeah I know it's funny though all these films have varying degrees of of dubbing. some are really good and some are not the best. This one was a lot more everybody seemed bubbly or very scared like't ah, know was very there's a lot of ups and downs mm-hmm. to the talking not not sing songy but just had a lot of bounce to their 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 speak um, so then uh yes yeah, so then you see her reading in bed before she goes to sleep uh you hear the guitar music the Pink Floyd song plays, and then the black-gloved person in the room. Um, and it's an odd shot. You see the hand coming across the shot with a knife, and then there's a knock, and then the hand pulls back across real fast. And that's one of the first things you see. And he carries it all the way through. And one part later on, that I'll pull it, it's like the cherry on top of the Sunday for style. So, so he's always so this he's like backing out of the shot, backing out of the shot. And he always walks backwards. Everything's back he he keeps his back to the camera he's always backing away from things and he doesn't move forward he's always turning and walking backwards and like that's a a thing that's like his his gimmick or what he does through it um so then uh so then when the black Love killer so there's a knock at the door and it's uh ava she stops over to borrow a pullover sweater and then she uh for the benefit of us she gets topless and uh then the hooded killer stabs her from the stabs her from behind uh through the breast which i thought was a really cool uh gore effect
1: with the with the tip of the knife coming out right through her nipple it's so i mean it's it's just so stylized
0: yeah no that it is so funny that like that's not regarded as like more of a history like gore mm-hmm. effect because i thought it was really fucking cool you don't see that a lot you know you see it from the front to the back or just, you don't see go all the way through and through the nipple. That just was so, and then then she falls and just the way it is, it's just a very beautiful fucking, and even when you see her body later hanging up and it's still there and it's, the knife's kind of like bouncing a little bit down with the natural weight. I thought that's fucking really cool. It's not stiff or anything, you know, but um, so yeah, he steps through the nipple and then um, uh, Angela goes for help and uh, when she finds someone to help her, Uh, I believe it's the handyman that comes in. The body disappears. And, uh, um, so then she gets freaked out and then you see the body gone and they believe that she's just kind of being frantic. Like you were talking about gaslighting her and she keeps thinking she's seeing things and she's very high strung all the way through, um, and then it cuts to her going to look for her friend that was just killed and one of the most beautiful shots in the film. He's going to this like seaside harbor town and you see this giant like hill with this like giant stone in the background, this giant I don't know, I can't describe like a mountain or whatever. It's just so beautiful. And that was a really good shot. Oh,
1: um like a shot in Spain. I yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He shot this in Spain.
1: Yeah, um the gorgeous when you get um uh, larger shots of the landscape and you're not just tight on the, on the set shots.
0: Yeah. Cause there's one shot in the beginning where she's mm-hmm. walking through the bungalows and you can kind of see the city in the background. And that was like a nice Vista shot. Like, oh, that looks really, really cool. So he, he pulls it off a few times in this film. Um, so then, uh, so then as she's looking in the Harbor, we see, um, Oh yeah. So, so here's the thing that one thing that bothered me in the film was her textile lion shirt that she was wearing that yeah. that 80s because I remember those shirts like that style like that mm-hmm. just that all over print but yeah I was just I don't know I mean I know they're trying to be cool or trying to be but that just looks so bad and that just to me did not age well I
1: don't no know. they should have just brought back the Grace Jones sweatshirt
0: yeah that or that
1: shirt, like the rest of the film totally yeah
0: I mean because she's like pulled over the stuff that she could have worn and I was like oh she should have wore that but yeah that that fucking oh man yeah, that, and, then, and and she gets a lot of use out of that shirt because it gets tore and she wears it oh, yeah. all the stuff going through. And, and I think that's like the last outfit she wears is that fucking giant lion shirt.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She has great Stevie Nicks hair also.
0: Yeah, no, she, yeah. And I was looking at like her lips and her cheekbones and stuff. And yeah, I was like, because I'd never seen her before or heard of her, but I kind of want to mm-hmm. see what film she was in and stuff because I guess she did a lot of German films and, mm-hmm. and such, but I don't know any of the titles offhand. So, but yeah, yeah, she, she seems really cool. Um, and she's a really good actress and, uh, she was really believable and she she didn't overact, but she definitely seemed oh, gosh, that was the role, but she was so intense all the way through and,
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and she seemed believable as, as what she was doing. Um so then uh So then uh, let's see where are we at here. Um it's a woman in, the woman in Bungalow 13 with the dead body is in the closet. We see her, uh we figure out what happened. Um so then from here I'm gonna kind of like be a little more discreet because I'm not gonna tell you how it ends. I don't think we should give away who the killer is or or what happens or what. But um we see uh but before that one thing I can say is we see an unseen <laughs> we see an unseen man that uh picks up the the I, I don't know the gal's name, let's see which one it was. Uh one of the it's four it's blog Inga. gals. No one was it Inga. The
1: the one haircut. that gets the, um, uh, yeah. the, the goes to the stone and,
0: uh Okay, so it's Inga. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, so she was. you see her leave with a guy, and even though she says, oh, I've never seen your face. You're wearing a mask. There's a shot where you see the car drive by, and you can see it's a guy with blonde hair. That's probably the stunt driver because mm-hmm. that's not the person that we find out. But yeah, the hair of it, it was like the blonde hair from the distance. I was like, okay. But he's supposed to be wearing a mask and she says, I've never seen your face. And he's wearing the black gloves. And he takes her out to the the uh, little stonemason place that you spoke of. And uh, But before that, we see this little kid with a telescope, and he sees what's going on. And he's like, oh, he's kind of precocious, and he kind of like follows him man. And he's like, oh, I wonder what he's doing with her there. He
1: shouldn't be taking her there or something like that. And then – uh, kid yeah yeah at least one creepy kid in every film
0: yeah yeah and that wasn't the same kid that sold the trinket i don't think
1: i don't think so either like that this this was i think this was definitely uh a different kid and and man they really make use of of him
0: (laughs) yeah and actually i like that kid i thought the kid was a cool tough little kid for what we see so basically uh the guy takes this woman, and she thinks they're going to have sex or whatever, so he ties her to this giant, uh, I guess it was a stone or granite or some kind.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. at
0: first I thought it was ice because of all the wet mm-hmm. from the blade. But then, so yeah, so he ties her up, and she thinks that they're doing something kinky in that. So he ties her up to this block, which is, I don't know, pretty stupid that she lets that happen, I think. But whatever, I guess she's, she's, I told you I'm up
1: for anything. She's this weird pitiful Pearl character who, for some reason, is as beautiful as all the other blonde busty women at this school but can't get laid like yeah. like she's that character uh, just for you know for the ugly duckling if you will um because there's one guy to go around for the whole school exactly so I, I i think it's it's the like oh i'm finally gonna you know get with some dude i'm just up for anything and and then yeah yeah so
0: Doesn't then so then what happens is we see her get tied to the uh, deal and uh, the hands start going over and he starts turning on the saw and she realizes that she's going to be getting cut in half either by her head or up her body so the blade comes down and while that's going on the little kid is watching from outside and he sneaks down from the window and he thinks he's like going to watch it or, or go away but he runs in, finds a way into the into the room <clears throat> and then he looks up and sees the power lever and figures a way up. And as the blade's getting closer to her, he plays the hero and jumps up, fucking grabs a switch, hits the switch and turns off the blade. And then you see the guy step into the frame, little kid kick, kicks him in the leg and then takes off running like, yeah, he fucking gets a shot in and then takes off running because he knows he's going to get beat. So he gets mm-hmm. a shot in, tries to get over, gets a shit in and takes off. So I thought that was pretty cool. So he takes off running. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and
1: it's really breathtaking too because it stops the yeah. saw for a second
0: yeah yeah, Those, yeah. The,
1: the, like the woman that's strapped to this thing has this moment to breathe of like oh i'm saved
0: yeah yeah you see the relief and and that's one thing too franco talked about in the documentary was it's good to show horror in smaller doses and smaller things because then it's more potent instead of showing something all the way through and that's why he didn't like a lot of the gore effects of this because you see it for it, it lingers too long, and I do agree. I mean, there's people that like to see, which I do like to see it and see how it works. But on the other hand, too, seeing something for a brief second is a lot better than ten seconds or twenty seconds mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. So the little kid kicks with the leg and takes off running, and then the guy turns back on the lever, and the saw comes through and cuts her head off, and we see her head fall off, and then we see the blood, and we see more blood coming out of her neck, and back to the head again, and then back to the neck squirting blood, and back to the saw. So yeah, they, they really get their there, use out of that effect.
1: There's this pause when the head comes down and you and then they um they go back up to the to the torso and then and the neck stump. And then there's just like 2 or 3 seconds before all this blood just starts spurting out like super yeah. <laughs> just gore. And it's really beautiful cuz it's like that pause actually makes it so much more effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's always like sex. It's just like, you know, it's like instead of just having to go all the way through it just like, oh here it comes, here it comes and then it happens and it's like ah. So yeah, it was it's very nice. Um oh and then the best thing, so then the kid takes off running, takes off running down the street. The guy's like, Okay, well, the kid saw me, so now I gotta take care of the kid. So he gets in the car and uh you see the little kid running down this like cool little rock path or this little uh, or the Two lane road and it's like on a hill and and uh the guy in the car comes up behind and runs over the kid and then the shower the little kid's laying there dead he's like has his hand across his chest where he's like kind of like laying there and to me i kind of giggled because it looked like he's like taking a nap you know but that's cool that the parents let the kid do that shot you know
1: it was and it's like a straight up no compunction kill yeah. It's like you realize you're like, oh man, they're just going to kill this little kid off. That Mercedes is just going to run right over that kid. And and they do. And they don't linger on it. It's just like, yeah, that kid's out of here. No, no, no grief. Yeah. It's- and
0: that's really like, like shocking to kill a kid. Mm-hmm. And even back in 81, it was even more shocking. You know, it's like, whoa, they actually did that. Okay, cool. You know, but Hey, I mean, shit, you're cut off women's heads. You're doing all this other stuff. Why, yeah. why is that? something that you can't do, you know?
1: So they do a good job like that. Like this person is a, like a cold blooded sociopath. Like there's, yeah. you know, no holds barred. No one's safe.
0: Exactly. All, all are equal. Just like, uh, Sam Peckinpah, you know, style. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, um, so then let's see the, uh, runs over the kid and then Laura comes over and visits Angela. She's barricaded in her, in her, uh, in her bungalow and she's all freaking out. And then, and then you kind of see everybody going, hey, what's going on? Why are you so freaked out? Because she had, just before that, I'm sorry, just before that, you see a shadow and you think it's a figure and she stabs the person. Even though when it falls, you can see it falls over like a like a tree falling and it's not a person.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: she thinks she stabs somebody, and then uh, uh, Laura comes in and uh, she's barricaded in there and she says, the person tried to stab me. They're in there, they're in there, they're in there. So then they go in there and they go to try to find her. Then she sees it's just a sewing dummy. Is that what they call that? Okay, a sewing dummy. And uh, then she realizes, she goes, oh, okay. And she realizes that she's just freaking out and stuff. So she goes, well, let me. And she goes, yo, I can use a beer. I can use a drink. So then Laura goes down and says, well, let me see what I can get from the uh, disco club. So she goes down to the disco club while the hooded killer's watching her along with Miguel and i don't know if the bald guy was watching her too i think but, they
1: were all i think like that's where you just get like the three fur and you're like oh who, who, yeah who, who,
0: yeah exactly it's like and even the bald guy's like curly you had like Mo larry and curly because one guy had like larry fine hair the instructor mm-hmm. and then yeah. y'all could be like Mo. Yeah. I, I just
1: got your red herring three stooges exactly <laughs> So also, come, there's a there's a terrible cat jump scare. Oh yeah, yeah, I love yeah. a cat jump scare. Yeah, they, I think they actually just threw the cat at the actress.
0: I exactly think like the same. Yeah, he uses tons of that. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, there's like it was
1: Friday. T- it was Friday's guest appearance.
0: In the, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's that he's getting it in his shots. Uh, yeah. So then they before that though she sees like two open doors in her home and she's all like freaking out and then you see the cat jump in. It's like oh, he's like throwing at all the tricks, which is funny, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I was like, that cat. And then she puts the cat out of the way, and then the cat just goes away, and then you don't know what happens to the cat, or the cat's just a total non-factor, you know? So then she comes back from the club. She goes to the club, and she has these four giant beer bottles, which I was laughing at. She's like holding these against her breast, and she's like walking back, and she keeps stopping and looking over her shoulder because she thinks there's people watching her, and she's all freaking out about it. And then uh, as she gets up to the door, uh, these giant steel pincers come out and go around her neck and start crushing her neck and that's another shot that they'd like show way too long they're like lingering yeah. on her blood coming out of her mouth and the blood and they're sh- zooming in and showing the close-up of it and yeah that's that was, i think
1: that was the first shot where they showed that like they flipped that footage so it almost looks like you like flip over to a 16 millimeter and eight millimeter like really grainy yeah um, well, in between and i was like is that an, an intentional effect or because it looked really cool but... yeah
0: no, well i think it, i also saw it with the saw effect it's like when they went into the longer gore stuff it was mm-hmm. like that was from like maybe an answer print or like a 16 millimeter or something yeah. that was like a longer and they just tacked it on it's like for that longer shot but you could tell yeah. that that was from a, a print that was more damaged and since this was mm-hmm. the german cut i was sure that for a lot of the German cuts, they use a lot more violence for those like with horror and stuff. So I'm sure that was made for that audience, you know?
1: Yeah. So. Which honestly, it was really effective because it gives this like surreal snuff film sort of quality to it where you just, yeah. like, you just go into this just strange, uh, just di- completely different film stock and texture during this, during this horrendous kill. So it's, it's, it happens a couple times and, and both times I was like, Ooh, Wow. Did he mean to do that? Is that is that like intentional? It's it's very ahead of its time.
0: Yeah, you know that's that's like a really good, really really good point because like that's one thing that like you're talking about ahead of its time because like one thing that always I bring up to people is like watching the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS compared to DVD. It it almost ruined it for me watching it on DVD because you see too much, you mm-hmm. see all the detail, and, and it's cool. Like I said, from a nerd point of view, you can look at all the zoom in on the claws on the chair and look at all the, and draw things and get yourself, but it's, but it's cool to have it grainy to not be able to see it because it gives that snuff footage like that, like you're not supposed to see it and it's something that's fourth generation beat copy of something and it's, and it's wore down and it's, you know, not seen by everyone and that's one thing that's kind of lost and that's some filmmakers do use that again and which which is great you know but that's that's something that's but then it gets overkilled too and overplayed so
1: yeah, yeah then you get then you get the rob zombie effect
0: that's the name i was gonna say <laughs> yeah even though i love knives that's exactly same, do that. same yeah, but yeah. you know <laughs> yeah three from hell was just just like that yeah so um uh so then yeah so then she has the beer bottle. she's getting uh okay So then she's killed by the the pincers, and um, then as that's going on, uh, Angela finally comes face-to-face with who the killer is, and one thing I thought was cool without getting in the way, the killer puts all the dead bodies together in one bungalow, and it's like, here's the greatest hits, here's everything I've done.
1: So you it's your final her. girl gauntlet. It's a beautiful final girl gauntlet. Like she really she gets a head in the bed. She yeah, gets a the the hanging kill. She gets like somebody in plastic. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's just like all these different ways, of all the different kills. You see the knife and all like that. And then um so then um here's the part that everything from whenever I watch a Franco film, I want to say, okay, this is my favorite shot or this is the favorite thing. So then like I said before, the hooded killer, he always backs out of the shots. So you see the person who's the hooded killer and they get in their car, and then instead of driving forward, he backs out of the shot in the car. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I was like, ah! I got really excited because like, that's such a fucking cool thing. And it's like, the guy has his hood off and with him backing the car out of the shot, you say, okay, this is the killer. And then yeah. Even if you suspected it, this is who it is. And with that touch, I thought that was a really cool thing. And then from there, uh, the showdown happens and things happen and stuff. And it is quite a showdown. There's lots of blood, lots of weapons. Uh,
1: oh, p- twists and trim. Yeah, a lot of
0: double crosses oh. and a lot of impales. And uh, But, yeah, the I will say, though, the saw thing that's used at the end, that was like a hedge trimmer, I guess. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah it's more like yeah. a hedge clipper trimmer. And it cuts into one of the people and yeah, I don't know. It was a little too, like the person would just stand there and like, stop cutting me. It's like, they I don't know, like pushed that. Of all the weapons, that was like, the person could have blocked it a little bit easier. So, I don't know. But but uh, yeah, and then of course, we see the psycho ending where you see the aunt that's in the wheelchair that throughout, the woman's pushing her throughout the film and she's actually been dead the whole time in the chair and and uh, you see her body all scarred in that. And it's cool that he didn't use like a, a skeleton or what he actually mm-hmm. used the person with the makeup effects on their face. Cause you could see it was a real person. Cause you can see the latex around the eyelids mm-hmm. from where the, where the um, prosthetic was glued on and everything.
1: But, yeah. It's uh, got kind of a nice uh, Helena Marcos quality. Um, it may, that's what it made me think of uh, in, from Suspiria is that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. old grizzled scary. <laughs> yeah. Like-
0: Totally, yeah, that, that witch that throws her head into the shot. And you see, like, the worms coming out of her face and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Good call, good call. Yeah, that was another uh, homage, I think. the the um, One thing um, I always uh, mentioned, uh, the Stephen Thrower books. Um, for this one, the later films, uh, I'm going off of Flowers of Perversion. That's the delirious cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2. And... Um, I'm actually getting a poster. The poster they mentioned here is in the shipment I'm getting coming in for Bloody Moon, and uh, it always threw me off because the Italian poster is, uh, let's see what we got here. Italian distributors Unifilm obviously thought that they could market the film as a giallo in the Dario Argento style, retitling it Profondo Tenebre, and that's combining Argento's classic Profondo Rosso 1976 with his then current hit tenebrae 1982 so yeah so that's uh the poster i'm getting and you see that and so like wow which, which film is that and then i looked it up the credits like oh it's bloody moon okay cool you know and big, so,
1: big plug for tenebrae because that is one of my favorite argento films it's oh so
0: <laughs> yeah it is it's, it's it's really good and his films it's like i don't know i've had all of them for so long and you watch them and you put them away just like this and then a couple years later you're like you start itching, you start thinking about things and you, know, and you start discovering them again and such. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think I I really like this film a lot. Um, I definitely uh, recommend it. It's a good slasher film. It's got a lot of cool style, a lot of nudity, a lot of blood. It's got good humor. It's, even though Franco didn't r- write it, it's got some of his uh, plot frames and some of his devices along with tons of other horror devices like we mentioned, all the References to other films and styles, and and uh, all that. Really such.
1: good, uh, really good cinematography, photography. Like, long, good tracking shots. A lot of like, a lot of really stuff that will catch your eye and keep you interested.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of zooms in this. In the mm-hmm. beginning, there's just a few, and there's maybe one or two out of focus shots where he's a little too close, and they walk mm-hmm. into the frame, and it gets blurry. But that's about it. It's really a very minimal. Franco sometimes goes zoom crazy, and with this, he definitely wasn't zooming because there's really not a lot of uh, female genitalia, so I guess the uh, zooming doesn't happen as much.
1: <laughs> so, no, no, uh, no, lesbian sex scenes. Spoiler. Yeah,
0: out. yeah, yeah, none of that. But, but, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of beautiful topless women in mm-hmm. this, so I, I, I definitely would recommend it on the eighty scale for that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, like I said, the I guess the Severin uh, Blu-ray is the way to go, or the DVD. They both have the same features. Uh, it's the German copy. Um, what else do I want to mention? I'm going to probably mention all the titles and all that other stuff on the intro that I normally do. But um, yeah, this was uh, filmed in 1980. Um, it was filmed in October of 1980, so that's cool. That's something we both like.
1: <laughs> october the number thirteen a lot, I of, a lot of good stuff the moon i like yeah. it all
0: film one hundred it 's like a good mm-hmm. a good title um, but yeah, so it looks like it was uh, eighty five minutes of running time german running time is uh, eighty four twenty three the u k version is eighty three twenty seven um, I think this is one of the video nasties i 'm not sure
1: it is yeah okay. yeah i was actually i was reading somebody else 's um, review of it. And they talked about like, it was high, one of the highly sought after, um, tape trades of, uh, of that era.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's a whole other like subject. There's a lot of documentaries on the video nasties. That's something I kind of used to get into. I have some of the books, but I haven't watched a lot of the documentaries they've made about them, but I know there's been a lot made and, and there's, uh, several put out some, and there's been a lot of cool stuff about that. So that's another way that Franco's connected to all this as well. So, um, But yeah, so uh, I guess uh, this is going to wrap up the Franco Observer review of Bloody Moon. We both give it a thumbs up, uh, all that good stuff. We both enjoy it. Greta's seen it multiple times. This was my first time, and I'll definitely watch it again, and uh, definitely in my Franco canon. So um, thank you all for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.